I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be looking at one verse this morning. And I want to preach to you that the Spirit-filled church or the church in action is a church without walls. At times this truth can be a challenging truth, but I find it to be a blessed truth. It is something that I rejoice in because we are all nothing more or nothing less than sinners who have been brought together into one place in one body by the grace of God through Christ Jesus. And I am glad because all of us are just natural born sinners. I know some of you walked in this morning and you felt pretty good about yourself and maybe you felt a little self-righteous and you're not. I'm just going to have to say it, you're not. And some of you may have walked in this morning and you have felt like there's no hope for you. You're so far from God and that God, how could God ever love me? If God, if these folks around me knew the things I had done, there's no way they would welcome me and there's certainly no way that God would welcome me. And I want to say to you very lovingly, you're wrong because God in his grace and in his mercy is in the business of welcoming lost sinners. And we say the church welcomes sinners, and we talk about a church should be welcoming to sinners, and I hope and pray that we certainly are. But let me tell you that the problem is not that we're welcoming. All churches welcome sinners. We're all sinners. And any church that welcomes anybody through the door has welcomed a sinner. Our problem is, is that we, do we welcome those who are other than us? Do we welcome those who um, are different from ourselves? And I want you to see a simple truth. And I want you to see it. It's not just in this verse in the book of Acts. It's throughout the book of Acts. But this is one place that we see it very clearly where we see the church without walls. I'm going to read the verse and then I'm going to pray and then we'll get right into the message. Now there were at the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Father, one simple verse, profound truth that is seen throughout this book. We are praying to be the church in action. We are praying to be a spirit-filled church. Help us to see how you have torn down the walls within the church to bring unity in diversity. And Father, I pray that this truth will not just challenge us, but Lord, it will bless us today, that it will encourage us. May we see the glory of your grace modeled and exemplified in the beauty and the diversity of your church that you bring together into one body, that you have torn down that middle wall of partition that divides us from one another and divides us from you, and we are one person in Christ. We rejoice in that this morning. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. In the end of the third century, the Roman emperor Maximian was trying to put down a group of insurgents, so he called on one of his legions in his army, the Theban Legion. It was led by a man by the name of Maurice. Maurice was a Christian general in a time when the empire was not yet Christianized by Constantine. And he was a man out of place, but many in his legion, most in his legion, were Christians. When Maximian called them to come to what is now the country of Switzerland to put down these insurgents, Maurice and his legion made it very clear that they were not going to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods. They would give allegiance to the Roman government, they would give allegiance to their nation, but they would not sacrifice to those gods. 
And so when they were ordered by the emperor to attack a, an innocent village of Christians, they refused to do so. Um, in that time, you didn't refuse the emperor anything. And so he uh, had a little bit of a fit, and he decided that he was going to motivate them, so he did what was called decimate the legion. Decimation is when you take one out of every ten and you kill them. And so he decimated the Theban legion. They still refused to obey this unjust order and still refused because they said we have to follow Christ rather than follow the emperor. And so he decimated them again. Another one out of every ten was killed. And finally, after multiple orders and multiple refusals, he finally had the entire legion put to death, including their general, Maurice. Maurice said to the emperor, we cannot obey you without denying God. He is the creator of all things, and he is our master, and he is your master, whether you acknowledge it or not. <laughs> a bold statement to a powerful man. About 30 years before this, there was a bishop in the city of Carthage by the name of Cyprian. Cyprian was ordered to renounce Christ and worship the pagan gods, and he refused. He at first was banished, and then he was in prison, and finally he was ordered to death. When he received the execution sentence, he said, thanks be to God. When the time came for him to be executed, he knelt, he prayed, he put his own blindfold on, and they took a sword, and they cut his head off. About 50 years before that, a young woman by the name of Perpetua, a young woman, a young mother, about 22 years old, in prison for the cause of Christ because she professed Christ. She's put in prison with a young woman by the name of Felicitas. Felicitas is an expectant mother. The two of them are in the cell together. They are bold in their faith. They stand for Christ. They refuse in the courts to renounce Christ. And they are taken into the Colosseum. They're taken into the arena. There they are at attacked by wild animals. And at the instigation of the crowd, the gladiators attack them and put them to death. All of these early Christian martyrs have one thing in common. They are all from the continent of Africa. They are a part of a strong African tradition in the early church. Now, let me just pause a minute and say, I believe it's a shame that many of those who contributed so much to the church are unknown by those who benefit from it. Many people today are completely unaware of not only these martyrs in the African tradition, but also many of the theologians and pastors, Athanasius and others, who were, were part of the early church and part of that great tradition. And in fact, it's a tradition that is rooted in the great diversity of the church in the book of Acts, the diversity that's seen in Acts 13.1. It really starts before Acts 13. The church at Antioch, which was one of the mother churches of Christianity, you'll remember that they were first called Christians in Antioch. And the church we read in Acts chapter 11, that the church there was established by a group of people, some from Cyprus, which was the island in the Mediterranean, but some of them were from Cyrene, which is in modern-day Libya, also part of the African tradition. So this church here has been established. They are some of the leaders, and at least two of these men seem to have been part of that. Perhaps Simeon and, and Lucius were part of that original group that helped start the church at Antioch. This diversity was not just between 
the Middle East and Africa, but it's a part of the larger diversity within the church. We saw in Acts chapter 2 that the people who were saved on the day of Pentecost were from every nation under heaven. We read about the gospel being taken to the Gentiles. We read about the message of the gospel, and in fact, it's these men that first preached the gospel to the Gentiles. It is a part of God's command in fulfilling the Great Commission that if the gospel is going to be preached, it is not going to just be preached where we are. It is going to be preached in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. It's hard for us in our modern times to get our mind around the impact and the power of that commission for a person who, these men who have been raised in the Jewish tradition, for them to be challenged to go to Samaria and for them to know that they're going to carry the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth is a challenge to their mentality, to their understanding. And yet Jesus gives them this command and he says, when will this happen? When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you will be witnesses in all these places. And so the diversity of this early church is a truth that is, in, is invaluable and important. It's in, and we see in these verses, if we take the time to look at these people, there's not just diversity in their ethnicity and their country of origin. There's, there's diversity in their testimony of salvation. They're all saved. We're all saved at the cross, but there are many paths that bring us to the cross. I suspect this morning if we had time to share all of our testimonies, we would all have diverse testimonies about how we came to Christ. Some of us were saved as children. Some were saved as adults. Some were saved as teens at a camp. Some were saved in a revival service. I was saved in the back seat of my mom and dad's car as a child. As we were driving down the road, my mom led me to Christ. My dad got so excited he ran a red light and almost sent me to heaven immediately. I was so glad that I had just trusted Christ. Aren't you glad that God is not a cookie-cutter God? He brings us to the same. We're all saved. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. But he brings us to that place in a diversity of ways, and it was certainly true. Barnabas very likely perhaps saved at the day of Pentecost. Saul saved just days before or months before on the road to Damascus. There's diversity in testimony of salvation, their personal background. There's at least one man here that was raised with Herod the Tetrarch as a companion, probably from a well-to-do family, brought into a place of royalty to be a companion for the young Herod being raised. And then you have people like Saul who was raised not around people like Herod, but he was raised under the tutelage of Gamaliel, one of the great teachers of Judaism. You have Barnabas who is from Cyprus, and you have all these diverse backgrounds the depth of experience. You have everyone from Barnabas who's been saved for a while. He's listed first as the most important, as the leader among these leaders, and Saul is listed last. He's only been saved a short time, and he's got little experience. There are gifts of ministry. There's diversity of ministry. We could talk about that, but the point is, is that the ethnic diversity is just one part of the great diversity that God has wired into the body of Christ. It's not just, this, this kind of diversity is not just a historical reality. It is a biblical gospel necessity. 
You see, when you think about it, the church means a called-out assembly. A called-out assembly. Called out from where? Called out from the world around us. Called out from our community. The diversity within our congregation should ideally reflect the diversity of our community around us. Because if the gospel is offered freely to all, that should be reflected. Now, it's not something that we create. It's not something that we force. We don't artificially create this, but we should, in the gospel, live it out. God has broken down the wall of diversity. He has broken down the wall of partition, and he has made two into one. He has made all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our economic standing, that may perhaps be one of the greatest divisions in our country today and in our churches today. It was a division in the early church when, when James said to the church, look, when the wealthy come in, you say, hey, here, you take the good seat. And when the poor man comes in, you put him over here. There was already that distinction, and it was a conflict. And the, the conflict in the early church was between those who were other. Because, you see, that's really where the conflict lies. It's really not so much about ethnicity or people groups. It's largely about anyone who is different, someone who's other. And otherness should never keep us from sharing the gospel with anyone, inviting someone to the, to the house of God, inviting someone into our own home, showing hospitality. We, we look at, you see, at the, at the heart of otherness, at the heart of the conflict over otherness is the idol of self. And that's where the danger lies. And that's where we have to be careful as a church. Why? Because if you want to get right down to it, we're other. We're certainly other than God. And yet God in his grace has welcomed us into his family. Aren't you glad for the day that God did not look at where we had been or what we had done or who we were and he welcomed us and adopted us into his family. That's an humbling thought because none of us deserve, none of us deserve to be in God's family and God in his grace reaches to us. The world is not divided into sinners and saints. It's divided into repentant sinners and unrepentant sinners. Even Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. Now, I'm glad that I stand before God accepted in the beloved as a saint, but you know what? I'm still, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. And if you're honest this morning, you are too. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and we are brought into his family. The message of the gospel is for all people everywhere. When we create artificial boundaries based on external elements, we are denying the very DNA of the body of Christ. When we create artificial barriers based on external elements, we are denying the very DNA that Christ created and Christ's body is supposed to exemplify. And yet we do it. The church is the earthly reflection of the body of Christ that is made up. Let me tell you, the body of Christ, every, the, every person that's saved in this world is made up of people of 
variety of every ethnicity, every language, every nationality, every economic standing. And they're all a part of the body of Christ. And the church is supposed to reflect that. That is how God designed the church to be. It's not divided into the shape of our eyes, the prominence of our cheekbones, or the shade of our skin. It is one body, united in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and is in us all. And that's the church that God designed. It's not just God's design for the church, but it is also God's ultimate purpose for the church. Do you realize that when we gather together like this this morning, we are looking forward to a time, in just a small way, we are looking forward to a time when every person who has ever been saved around this world in all times and in all places will be gathered around the throne of God to worship him. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to a day when we'll stand there and let's just be honest, most of us will be in the minority. If we're looking at our external appearance will be in the minority of the church around the world and throughout history. It's important for us Americans to remember sometimes that as a part of the church, we're just a small blip on the screen. It's, it's a little dose of humility we need every once in a while. Most of the people in heaven are not going to look like you and me. So just get used to that. I know that's a shock to some of y'all. Some of y'all are just, I'm not sure I want to go now. <laughs> I thought it was going to be different. The body of Christ, that's how God designed the church. That's his purpose, is to bring us to that place. And when we gather like this today, as we worship, boy, I love to watch as you worship with the songs and as we receive the word this morning, that's just a foretaste of glory to come. And it's how God designs his body. I want you to look with me just for a moment quickly in Ephesians chapter 2. Because I want to see how this, what does this look like for us? I, I hope that you're seeing as we go through the book of Acts from um, Pastor's sermon last week and other sermons that have been in this series, the deep connection between the book of Acts and the epistles of the New Testament. You need to understand both because these letters were written in the context of the book of Acts. He's writing to churches and he's writing to people that are experiencing these challenges and they're people just like we are, so they're facing some of the same challenges. I say this because this passage, Ephesians 2, becomes very important for us as a church in the historical context that we are living in. We are living in a time when issues such as diversity are becoming a dividing factor among the body of Christ. And part of that is because some of the ideologies and some of the thoughts that are being presented are, are purposely geared toward being divi divisive. And we have words and we have phrases that I'm not going to say this morning because there are multiple people here this morning and one person is going to hear their definition of that term or that word. And another person is going to hear something else. And this person is going to say, I can't believe the preacher says that and believes that. And this person is going to say, hey, you're, that's exactly right. And they're not even going to be understanding what I'm saying. And we're talking past each other in our collective conversation. And the world is not going to be united on these issues. In fact, it's creating greater division. We're seeing that. We're seeing that throughout our culture. 
So what is the obligation of the church? The obligation of the church is to focus on what God's purpose in this world is. It's to focus on what his goal is and what his task is and what our task in his place is and what the church is to do, what the gospel says. And it's not just, oh, if that person would get saved, they'd get their life straightened out. It's the message of the gospel that dramatically impacts every area of our life. Every place in society, every place in our life is impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this world is not going to unite. They're going to continue to divide more and more. What the church must do is practice what the scriptures calls us to do, to both model and to call for the unity that is found in the gospel. I want you to see this. Now, this is, this is not the same racial division that would be in our day. It's not the same diversity that would be in our day, but it's just as harshly divided between Jew and Gentile. I want you to see Ephesians chapter 2 and look in verse 11. Wherefore, remember that you being in time past... I want you to watch there are a couple of phrases in these early verses that talk about this was in the past. This is how things used to be. It tells us that these two groups, there's history. They have a past. And there are problems in the past. And we are foolish as Christians to ignore that there have been problems and diversity in the past. But he says this is how it used to be in time past. Being Gentiles in the flesh who are called on circumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. They not only had uh, some problems in the past and divisions in the past, they're calling each other names. These are not polite names. These are not, uh, these are not encouraging names. These are oftentimes derogatory names that they would use about each other. So he's like, hey, look, before the way it used to be, before you were part of Christ, you were divided. And there's a history of division. And there's anger. And there's name-calling that's gone on. Notice verse 12. That at that time, you were without Christ. This was before you were saved. This is what you can expect from the world. We should not expect the world to unite and bring diversity together. And let me say that it is not denying the diversity. Even God in the book of Revelation, when we're gathered around the throne, he still recognizes the differences. He said of every tribe and tongue and nation. But God has wired diversity into his creation. So we're not denying that. We're not denying the differences. But we have been brought together. He says that in that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You've been brought together and it's no longer Jew and it's no longer Gentile. It is the body of Christ. We are one in him and that's the powerful message of the gospel. That's the message of what God is calling us as a church to view and to see that we are not all different, though we are all different. In our diversity, there is unity. He goes on to say, for he is our peace who has made both, 
both Gentile, both Jew. He has made them one, and he has broken down the wall of partition between us. Over here were the Jews, over here were the Gentiles. The Jews were close to God, and that's who Christ came to. And they had the law, and they had those wonderful things that's described in, in Romans chapter 2. But over here were the Gentiles, Romans chapter 1, and they are far from God. But God has saved out of both groups, and it's no longer this type of Christian, or Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian. They have been brought together into one, and they are one in Christ. They are one in the church, and that is what God has done spiritually. It's time for us to live that reality so that the world can see what the gospel does. The world can see that we're not divided, though we are different. We are brought together in Christ, in one. Verse 16, he says that he might reconcile both to God in one body by the cross. Verse 18, through him we both have access. We both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. Verse 22, in whom also you are builded together for a habitation of God through the spirit. We may all have diverse pedigrees, but we are all natural-born sinners that need the same redemptive experience in Christ. And if we have trusted Christ, we have been brought together into one body. And the only place in this world that is going to demonstrate the divine grace of God in unifying diversity is the church of Jesus Christ. And that's what he has called us to do and to be. And we get caught up in all these things that are not going to solve the problem because we think this is the side we're supposed to be on. Let me tell you whose side I'm on. I want to be on Jesus' side. When you think about it, the church is really just a motley crew of diverse characters who have often nothing more in common than Jesus. There are some of us that if we, if we knew the ideological, political views that the other one held, we probably wouldn't even want to sit on the same, we wouldn't even want to be in the same building with them. It may come to you as a surprise, but there's going to be people in heaven that hold different political views than you. It may come to you as a surprise, but there's going to be some people in heaven that may hold some theological views that are different than us. Shocking as that may be. Not many, but there'll be a few. <laughs> they won't be right when we get there, but they'll be, they'll be there. We are united not because we have a lot in common, but we are united because we never have anything less in common than Jesus. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, I want you to know that there is no person that is beyond the reach of the grace of God. And you may have encountered a Christian that treated you like you weren't worthy of grace. And on behalf of Jesus, I would say to you, I'm sorry that you experienced that. But I would also say to you that God loves you and he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross so that you could be brought close to him. And you may have been around people that acted like they, they didn't want to be near you because you were different than them. But I want you to know that we're all very different than God. But while we were yet sinners, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to bring us 
close to himself. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, if you will acknowledge before God that you are a sinner and that there's nothing that you can do to save yourself, and you'll believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, and you're willing to confess him with your mouth, confess him as your Lord and Savior, then something amazing happens. Going beyond all our differences, all our diversity, the grace of God reaches to you where you are, and he brings you into the family of God to be a part of that one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. A church that is filled with the Spirit is a church that is without walls. Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? Who is it in your life that you've been hesitant to reach out to because they're different? Sometimes it's not animosity about being different. It's not knowing how to approach them. I feel awkward about it. Let me tell you that the love of God and the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is for every person. Freely offered to whosoever will. And maybe this morning there's someone in your life that you need to get beyond that wall. You need to get over that wall. You need to cross over that barrier to share the gospel with them, to have a gospel conversation, to share the love of Jesus. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of some of that animosity and it's hard for you to get past that. I want you to know that though it may come from Christians, it does not come from the heart of Christ. And you are loved by God. You are valuable to Him. And you are an important part of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what community you came from. It doesn't matter your people group. It doesn't matter your economic standing. You're a valuable part of the body. And one day we will rejoice together around the throne of God. And we will sing His praises as our Creator and our Redeemer. What a glorious day that's going to be. This morning, if God is speaking to your heart, the altar will be open for our invitation. I want to invite you to come. Maybe you just want to come and worship the God who brought you into His family. Maybe there's someone that's a burden on your heart and you want to bring them. Maybe there's a need that you just need to come and pray about this morning. But whatever it might be, the altar is open for prayer. Maybe this morning you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You can do so right in your seat or you can come and one of our pastors will talk with you about trusting Jesus as your Savior, becoming a part of the family of God, a family that is quite diverse. Father, speak to us this morning. I pray that we will be obedient as you do. We pray